This is an ABC podcast. This is the WA Country Hour with Joe Prendergast on ABC Radio WA. Hello, good to have your company this afternoon. I hope you had a good weekend and you managed to get a bit of time off, a bit of a rest. It is such a busy time of the year, isn't it? The big news for wine producers over the weekend was that China has agreed to review its tariffs on Australian wine. For us, and and to be honest, most Australian wineries, especially of a certain size, it was a very, very, very lucrative market that all of a sudden went away overnight. Uh, it's exactly what we what we need right now is to is to hear that those restrictions are going to be lifted. Potentially, fingers crossed, can be lifted. It's not a done deal yet, but in the second half of the program, you'll find out why some Aussie wine producers would love to get back into that lucrative. Chinese market, while others in Western Australia are saying by being effectively locked out, it's actually been a blessing because in the past few years, they've found other buyers for their wine, such as people in Singapore. We'll bring you that story after 12.30 and all the details of the Muche cattle sale coming up just before one o'clock. And pastoralists in the Mount Magnet area will be among many listening to the details of that sale. In parts of the southern rangelands, pastoralists are experiencing one of their worst seasons on record for rainfall. Now that's challenging in itself, but what's making it really difficult is the state of WA's cattle market. Pastoralists like Ash and Debbie Dowden at Chalice Station need to offload cattle before summer, but they're being told there's just no market for them. This is by far the worst we've had in nearly 30 years and one of the worst seasons on record. And our rainfall records go back to 1888. So how much rain have you had for the year? 75.8 mils. And none of them had been in terribly significant falls. It hasn't been useful rain. It's just been five mils here, 10 mils here, and it really not the kind of rain that's going to grow any feed. It just sort of freshens the country up for a few days. How's the station looking, Ash? You're on the other line with Deb. How's, how's the place going? It's hanging in there, but I, in you know my lifetime here, don't recall anything worse than this. It's... Um, you know, it, the, the rainfall cut off really in September last year, so it's probably over 14 months since we've had any significant falls. And as Deb said, there's been a lot of one, two, threes, and an odd seven, and I think we've had one 10 um, mil fall. But in summertime, so a 10 mil fall in summer does nothing. So the, the bush is still hanging in there. The, um, the actual ground feed's pretty much gone now. There's dry, dry grass here and there, but it's of really no value. We're pouring the lick into them so they can utilise as much, um, much of the dry feed as, we, as they can. But um, it's not good it, season-wise. It's, um, it's a shocker, absolute shocker. I don't recall anything as bad as this in my lifetime here. And we're going into summer now. So are you in a position where you want to get rid of some cattle, but that's just that's not an option for you? Well, it's the first time in my living memory that they're rejecting cattle out of Mewshay. So, um, you know, we're at the stage now where you'll send a truckload of, cow, you know, sort of very light-conditioned cows down 
and you'll be no bids. No one will bid on them, and you'll not only have the freight down, then you'll have to receive them and take them home again. Um, and that's the first time in my living memory that something like this has happened, but there's just no market. Yeah, the buyers, the agents are saying, don't send them. There's still you know, a pittance for cattle in good condition, but you know, cows, fat, shiny cows, are bringing maybe a dollar a kilo. Um, you know, we're, we're selling export bulls from um, our finishing block down at Jinjin, and um, you know they are absolutely magnificent animals, and you're getting two dollars thirty now. Our cost of production is about three bucks, so we've got to get three bucks to break even. So we are way below cost of production for what you're getting if you can sell them. So just the market is so limited. Um, buyers are just you know I, I know of stations that have mustered had cattle in the yard and then had to let them, you know, had to bush them, let them go because they're just potential of sale. Mm. And that is not what you want to be doing when you've got country that is dry where you're worried about the feed that is on offer. No, we, we've, we've come into the perfect storm really with um, the low cattle prices but the catastrophic season, there's just no options. You know, our, our next option is to start to, to shoot cattle and um, that's something that no one really wants to do. You drive yourself mad. But... Um, you know, it's, it's happened before, but never in my recollection have we had a season as bad as this with, you know, no opportunity to sell cattle at all. So has your agent said to you not to send cattle, just don't put them on the truck? Yeah, yeah. We, 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 um, we rang in the other day and said, uh, you know, we, we want to offload some cows, um, some lighter condition cows and some young stuff. So, you know, calves and things like that, we're going to have to pull all our calves off um, to save the cows now. That's, that's pretty much an option that we would have done anyway, even if we could sell the cows, pull the calves off and sell the cows. But we're going to have to pull the calves off now. Um, and he's basically said there is no market for anything lighter than, you know, 250 kilos. So, um, and that's in bulls and cows. Well, we don't know, um, you know, really if there is a market at all for light cows. So what are your options then? If you take those calves off, uh, what do you what do you do with them? Um, the only thing you can do is, is just hold them in your yards and, and feed them pallets and hope to Christ it rains because the cost of feeding you know, milk replacement pallets and then weaner pallets, uh, you, you will get them to survive and, and, and they'll grow even you know slower than a, what they would normally, but um, you know they'll survive. But it's a matter of holding them until there is a market to sell them into and that might be 12 months you know we might be feeding these cars for 12 months or giving them away if anyone's interested in um you know 20 30 40 50 100 little calves uh for nothing you know we will give them away because the cost of us feeding calves at the moment um will actually cost us money but we're not going to um we're not going to shoot the calves at this stage it's a matter of having to feed them to keep them alive and um that's really the only option until it either rains or we can get a market to sell them. And the prospect, Deb, of spending summer in the cattle yards feeding, that can't be too exciting. No, it's the last thing you want to be doing, even though we love our little calves. We, mm. the, the last thing you want to do is have to take them off their mothers and then keep them in the in the cattle yards all summer. And, um, you know, it's hot and they can't really have a natural life and they've haven't got their mums and it's just, it's hard work. It's really hard work and it's hard work emotionally as well, mm. you know, doing what you have to do to keep the animals alive. I imagine it's been hard to this point, let alone that prospect. It's really difficult not being able to 
not being able to have any certainty that we can sell cattle, that's the, that's the real big problem. Everything else I think we could cope with. But the fact that we might have, say, a, a cull heifer that we trap, what do we do with the cull heifer? We can't sell her. We don't really want to keep her. Um, we're just going to have to turn her back out and let her, let her take her chances. So it's, it's incredibly difficult. Normally we'd sell the cull heifers, you know, send them down to Mucha. It's just incredibly difficult not having a market for them and having to make these tough choices that we're having to make now with taking some of the calves off their mothers. Uh, yeah, it's just you, sometimes you, you, you're trying to talk to people and trying to research and find out what the best thing is to do to make sure that the decisions you make are the right ones. If we get rain, it's going to make life a heck of a lot easier. Mm. And, and I just might add that it's not just us. There's um, plenty of people across... You know, they're out the goldfields north of Kal- Kalgoorlie, um, shocking conditions there up into the Gascoyne. Uh, yeah, there's a fairly big area that are suffering really, really low rainfall this year, catastrophic drought conditions, and with no opportunity to be able to sell and offload cattle. And I don't know, um, you know, that there, there will be significant animal welfare events this summer, you can guarantee it. You would normally sell your cattle to Mushe or into feed lotters, but is it a case that those markets just don't have to take pastoral cattle at the moment? They're taking cattle from some of the, the ag areas, the farming country instead? Yeah, they, they, they can. Um, there's a lot of farmers down south who are also offloading cattle because they've been experiencing dry conditions. And farmers that might normally buy cattle for finishing on their blocks are not buying them because of the dry conditions. And so the the meat, um, the abattoirs don't need to look for pastoral cattle. There's enough of the local cattle coming into the market that are in good condition that um, they can buy cheaply enough. They don't even need to look at the pastoral cattle. It just doesn't make sense. And you look at the price of beef in the butchers and in the supermarkets, it's incredibly high. It just doesn't make sense. There's some bottleneck somewhere in the system. There's a failure in the system somewhere that's not allowing us to get our beef out to the people who need it at a reasonable price. Debbie and Ash Dowden, they're at Chala Station, which is southeast of Mount Magnet. Quarter past 12, you are listening to The Country Hour. Joe Prendergast with you this afternoon. What are your thoughts on the situation that the Dowdens were talking about there? Prices on offer are a lot less than the cost of production. No market at all for some other lines of cattle, some of the lighter lines, and a pretty similar situation for the sheep industry at the moment. The text number 0448922604 and just picking up on that point that Deb finished with there around the prices that we're seeing in the shops. When will those prices in the supermarket start reflecting the market prices which farmers are being forced to accept? The text number zero double four eight nine double two six zero four, and if you are carrying more stock than what you'd like to, and probably carrying them unexpectedly, you might need to buy more hay. The Dowdens were saying the price of hay for them has significantly increased. What they were paying ninety dollars for, so ninety dollars for a big bale last year, 
is now close to $150. So that's significantly increased. And it seems like a lot of people are trying to shore up feed supplies ahead of the coming summer. I was talking to a friend who grows hay near Geraldton this morning and he was saying demand is through the roof. He's pre-sold all of his and he actually cut three times his usual hectares of hay this season. But because it's been a dry season near the coast, near Geraldton, it's yielding at about half of what it normally does. So he sold all of his hay and I'm told that it's a similar story for some of the other big hay growers in the Midwest area. The latest Grains Industry Association crop report is showing a poor hay season across many parts of the state. Crop report author Michael Lamond says oat plantings declined at the beginning of the season and that was because markets and prices were really flat. The hay situation is an interesting one in that because, of course, your you know, growers are transitioning, particularly the varieties that are coming through, are transitioning from dual purpose, you know, where they can either produce hay or milling oats for milling grade to more specialist varieties, you know, for one or the other. But we're still in that transition period. So there is this swap does occur each year, you know, around about hay cutting time on what gets left for hay and what doesn't. It's it's a moving target, you know, that yeah, at the end of the year to know to sort of estimate what's you know what's going to end up. But this year certainly with the early dry and heat, growers were finding the the weight accumulation of their their oat crops uh, that were destined for hay were, you know, the the, the decline in, in biomass production was was accelerated and they just weren't accumulating biomass. So they a lot of them had to make the made the decision to cut early. And a lot of those cases, the, the yields are very low, you know, less than three tonne per hectare, two tonne per hectare. So, you know, that was uh, that's really impacted the hay quantity that's been available this year. The quality, of course, will be okay. And then also there was the, the, the oat plantings in have been declining due to uh, the lack of the export opportunities for oat and hay, particularly China. And then there was, you know, on the 11th hour, there's been an opening of those markets, but there's no opportunity really to change really what we've got available you know, once the announcement is made. But that is, you know, that's quite positive for the future. But the, the interesting thing is, you know, that the hay, the hay folk, particularly in the northern areas, you know, in North Siamora, you know, sort of up there, and then also the Eastern Lakes regions, you know, it's just, I suppose, like the sheep thing, you know, once you transition out of a commodity, you know, whether it's a crop or livestock enterprise, you know, you sort of settle in to your new rotations and margins and profitability. And so the indication, the early indication is that a lot of growers, you know, that did drop hay or oats, you know, for either milling grade or for hay have, have swapped to canola and um, they've just slotted the canola in as a break crop in their system. And and a lot of the early indications are that, you know, whilst canola is ticking along at reasonable prices, that they're probably not going to change. Kiwa crop report author Michael Lamont just explaining why there's less oat and hay around this season. In the north, there's plenty of bushfires burning across the Kimberley and Pilbara at the moment. The emergency WA website has a number of bushfire advices which are current for the state's north, and it is compounding the pressure of the poor cattle market for pastoralists like David Stote from Anaplane Station, which is south of Broome. He's also carrying more cattle than he'd like to, and a fire has now burnt out some of his really valuable feed. And he says it's been a long few days dealing with this fire with little sleep. Uh, yeah, got got a few hours here and there. So, look, it's been a very difficult 
weekend or since Friday when the fire started here. So we've just uh, been doing the best we can to keep them under control. So it has been a difficult weekend. Do you know how that fire on your place started? Uh, well, there's three ignition points on, on the highway, so, um, yeah, it's fairly obviously someone did it deliberately, so uh, it's very disappointing. We know this has been happening all over the Kimberley uh, this year, so, uh, yeah, it is very disappointing and uh, it's caused a lot of stress for, here, for us here on the station. And, and what's that fire looking like now? Uh, look, it's, well, it's burned a whole lot of countries, so it's running out of stuff to burn, I guess. Um, yeah, uh, it's still going, so we'll just try and get around the, the remaining bits of it on the station today. And then uh, there's still some fire out in the desert, so we're just keeping an eye on that to make sure it doesn't come in here. So, um, yeah, yeah, there's still plenty of work for us to do, I think. And how much country are you looking at being burnt by this fire that's currently on Anaplanes, not even looking at that one east to you that might be coming in? How's this going to impact the way that you stock your country? Uh, look, it's, yeah, I'm not sure how much we've lost. It'll be, it'll be a substantial, substantial amount of country. So, um, yeah, we'll figure that out over the next couple of days. Of course, if it rains, we know the country bounces back, but we don't really expect rain here for another couple of months. So, yeah, that'll be, it'll make it difficult for us, but, um, and especially with the cattle market doing what it's doing at the minute, but, it's hard, it's hard to move cattle, so, uh, yeah, that, that impacts on everything as well. And are you stocking more cattle than you'd like to be stocking at this time of year? Uh, yeah, well, we would have liked to get rid of it more than than we have, so we'll still try and move some over the next uh, month or so. Um, yeah, but we've certainly got more than we'd, we'd like to because just the nature of the cattle market this year. How worried were you for those cattle? Have you lost any boars or anything like that? Uh, I don't think so because it's usually pretty open around the actual bore site. So, um, yeah, we'll we'll check all that over the next couple of days. Uh, we protected some pipelines and moved them, you know, in the last few days. Um, so we we did all that. Uh, but yeah, we'll just. I don't think we've lost any bores, so that's that'll be um, that's um, that's certainly a positive. But uh, we've certainly lost plenty of pasture. David Stote from Anaplane Station, which is between Broome and Port Hedland, speaking to our Kununurra-based reporter, Alice Marshall. The Great Northern Highway is currently open. Main Roads is advising drivers to exercise extreme caution. If you are travelling north, though, just keep an eye on the Main Roads WA website and the Emergency WA website because there's quite a few fires up there. They're all at advice level. But you just want to keep an eye on that if you are on the road. And you heard David Stote there saying that uh, it is hard to move cattle. And at the beginning of the program this afternoon, we heard Ash and Deb Dowden saying they can't find people to buy some of their pastoral cows and heifers. And they're not alone. Nationally, the cattle industry is struggling. Demand and pricing for cattle in Australia is flat But in the US, it's the opposite scenario. There's currently a focus on restocking after some consecutive dry years. Rabobank analyst Angus Gidley-Baird says it will take some time, but demand for beef in the US 
is expected to lift the Australian cattle market. Uh, we all know what the local situation is like at the moment. We've got increased volumes of stock on the market. We've got very congested supply chains and we've got very soft consumer demand um, causing prices to be, um, oh, I believe, probably a little bit lower than where we're all expecting them to be. Um, but the bright spot from a cattle point of view is what's going to happen over the next couple of years in the US market. And that's going to, as the, the title alludes to, send a wave through those global meat markets and um, our ability to possibly capitalise on that um, is, is where I'm going in terms of that'll be a, a positive influence on the cattle market over the next couple of years. And is that cattle market, it's not just Australian beef going boxed beef, is it? Are we also talking live X? Yeah, also, yep, yep. We, um, I've done some numbers to figure out the relationship between that live export price and um, US import prices for lean trimmings. There is a relationship. It's not, it's not a super strong one. The, um, the Australian um, sort of cull cow, processor cow price has probably got the strongest relationship, understandably, because that's what goes into that trade. But it does have an influence on all Australian cattle prices and, and you know, a rising tide tends to lift all boats. Um, so you'd expect that to, to flow through. It also means that there's, you know, it, uh, there's a global influence here as well. Um, you know, less US product uh, means the US will be buying more, but it also means less into places like Japan and South Korea and China. Um, that will mean that they're having to pay more. That you know, everything sort of moves around in that global market, and, and, and we'll see pressures from all those uh, all those export um, uh, markets in the sense of just generally lower volumes. Um, in that global market. You have a line here in your slides that says the contraction in the US production will be the main influence in the coming years. Can you just talk me through what you mean by the contraction there? Yeah, so they've gone through their, their, their normal cyclical process where they increase cattle numbers and then yeah, get to the point and prices soften and people start decreasing cattle numbers. That's been exaggerated by a couple of years of drought. So they've reached um, max um, cattle slaughter and beef cow slaughter uh, at the end of last year. It was 450,000 head um, in a month. Um, and they're going through a gradual decline now. The, the volume of stock on hand is, is lower. Um, and even though it is continuing to be dry over there, they continue to sell some. So um, that that's going to mean lower production. We're expecting production to be down sort of 3%, 4% um, this year, the next year and subsequent years. Um, that means that they've got less of their own products, so they'll be looking for imports and there'll be less exports coming into the market as well. We heard just today a pastoralist who looked at a contract to send his feeder steers out of the Darwin port to Indonesia and was being offered $2.60 a kilo for those feeder steers and said, you know, actually, I'm I'm going to go put them out back out in the paddock. I don't want to take that money. It's too low for me. Have you got any, any good news for these Kimberley and Pilbara pastoralists for the next coming months when it comes to those prices? Yeah, the next few months are going to be the challenge, uh, heavily influenced by domestic market influences. I don't think this this US impact's not really going to start flowing through until next year, and then possibly late next year, 2025, will be the, the big kicker. Um, at the moment, we're just looking to, tr- uh, to to see if supply chains can open up, 
and that will encourage um, you know processes to put on additional shifts here. That will increase the demand for cattle in Australia and it will lift prices a little bit. But yeah, you look through the supply chain at that Indonesian market and where cattle prices are. If it's two dollars forty thirty here, um, you know the margins in the supply chain are there. It's just you need the consumer at the other end demanding that volume to pull it through the situation and. Although retail sales in, in Indonesia look all right, I think they're tracking at about 2 to 3% growth at the moment, year on year. Um, you know, it's not the highs that it was in the last couple of years and it's not quite what it was pre-pandemic, um, but it's okay. It's just, I think Indonesia is probably like a lot of markets, a lot of our export markets at the moment. There's stock in the system and there's weaker consumer um, demand. So it's just not pulling it through the system. And, and as a result, we, we're seeing a bit of resistance from a pricing point. Angus Skidley Baird, he's a senior protein, senior animal proteins analyst with Rabobank. Speaking to Alice Marshall, I'll have all the details of the cattle sale at Mushay just before one o'clock for you today. Some of your texts from this afternoon where we've been talking about the really dry conditions, a shortage of feed that some pastoralists are facing and at the same time, they're carrying more stock than what they'd like to because there's just no market for some cattle and really poor prices on offer for others. Text from Fiona saying, Joe, just listening to Ash and Debbie about the cattle prices, what the hell are Labor going to do about this? They and the large supermarkets have to start listening. Otherwise, come 2025, they'll know where the door is. And on the topic of hay... It's been a classic season in the southwest around Manjimup where people have been caught out working to the calendar and not the season. Plenty of yield and quality in silage and hay has been lost whilst waiting for rain that hasn't come. You certainly learn more in a good season, in a poor season, than you do in a good one. Thank you for your text and if you don't mind, I love hearing from you, but can you pop your name and perhaps your location? on those texts. The number is zero double four eight nine double two six zero four. It's twelve thirty, so let's head to the newsroom. Good afternoon, Jonathan Hopper. Good afternoon, Joe. Police say a woman who was with a gunman who went on a crime spree across the WA wheat belt was injured during the incident. The woman was released without charge but is still assisting homicide detectives with their inquiries. The man fired shots at a utility on Albany Highway and stole another car at gunpoint before taking his own life 300 kilometres away in the town of Meriden. The state government says a funding commitment to a Perth-based space automation facility will go a long way to establishing WA as the go-to hub for space exploration in the Southern Hemisphere. The government has committed $5 million to the Fugro Space Automation AI and Robotics Control Complex aimed at boosting the facility's capability for space missions. And the Home Affairs Department has confirmed a suspected asylum seeker boat was intercepted near Australia last month with 11 people transferred to a regional processing centre. Officials have declined to give details about the unauthorised arrival, but have revealed there are now 13 people being held on Nauru. Thanks, Joe. Jonathan, thank you. We will head to the Bureau in just a tick, get the latest uh, weather forecast for the next few days. After 12.30, so not far away, we're going to spend some time with the wine industry because... Uh, There's been some interesting news over the weekend that China may be back buying Australian wine sooner rather than later.
bring you those details soon. But Joey Rawson is at the Bureau. Joey, we'd really like some rain in that pastoral region. How's things looking in the Southwest Land Division? Yeah, not not so great, Joe. With um, yeah, I think the stats coming out for October um, are uh, pointing towards the driest um, October um, on record. So, um, you know, for looking where? at the past for the Southwest Land Division. Wow. Yeah, so it, it's, um, you know, they're not confirmed, these stats, but it, it's certainly been um, a dry October. And, and then as we look forward, um, th- there's not a lot of rain um, in the next sort of four or five days. We do have um, a bit of a weak front uh, that's moving through on Thursday, but the showers with that uh, front are going to be quite confined to that southwest and south coast between sort of Albany and Esperance. So, um, you know, places like uh, Augusta and Albany may receive one to three millimetres, but as it uh, pushes a little bit inland, um, not expecting much to even push into the southwestern parts of the Great Southern. And and then, so that's for Thursday, and then for Friday, um, there's going to be some showers along the south coast and, and a few showers through the goldfields and, and uh, Eucla. Uh, but again, it's two to five millimetres. And, and yeah, the problem with the system moving through, it's not, the rain's not falling through those ag areas w- where the rain's needed. So um, apart from that, there's not a lot, Joe, for, for the next um, sort of two to five days, that's for sure. Okay. Uh, Temperature-wise, how's that looking? Yeah, so it's uh, certainly hot in the north and it's quite contrasting because we've got those southerly winds along the south coast, so uh, it certainly cools down. I think for Albany today, we're going for temperatures around that 16-degree mark and, and then as we push further north, you know, Broome 33, 39 in Port Hedland, 38 in Carrather. Um, but so that's uh, continuing hot. And but as we progress through the next few days, we have that uh, pesky west coast trough develop, and what that's going to do is bring those hot temperatures from uh, northern WA down to the southwest land division. So by the time uh, we get to uh, Wednesday, we're looking at you know temperatures you know through the Midwest and lower west getting into well and truly into the 30s and, um, yeah, certainly warming up and, and that pushes further further south, even getting to around 30, around Bunbury on, on Wednesday. So, um, But that, tr- that trough uh, will move inland uh, during Thursday, so um, it will be that, that hot day. And with those hot conditions, it's quite interesting um, from a fire weather point of view, we're going to have higher fire uh, dangers through a broad area of the state and even through the uh, Swan Inland South District, uh, we possibly will reach extremes. So, um, yeah, certainly uh, a bit of a, a bad fire weather day coming on Wednesday. OK, we'll keep an eye on that on Wednesday, Joey. What's the forecast for the north for the next few days? Yeah, so over the north, we're, we're developing these uh, thunderstorms uh, basically through the northwestern parts and far northern parts of uh, the Kimberley. And, uh, you know, we could get a couple of falls out of that, but only expecting two or three millimetres if you're underneath one of those thunderstorms. So, yeah, the far north today and then tomorrow it's the far northwest of the Kimberley and the eastern parts of the Kimberley will potentially get those afternoon thunderstorms. And that theme continues for Wednesday, far northwest, uh, the possibility of getting a thunderstorm as well as Thursday and 
sort of on Friday. So th- there is the chance of some thunderstorm activity, but it is going to be limited mainly to the northwest coastal parts of the Kimberley uh, for the next uh, few, few days. Joe. Okay. Any warnings, Joey? Yeah, we've got strong wind warnings for the Geraldton coast. The sea breeze is going to be cranking up where you are right now and also for the Esperance and Eucla coast, Joe. Okay, thank you. Our rainfall reporter, Richard Hudson, is in the studio. Richard, have you got much to read out? Well, that's a promotion, being called the rainfall <laughs> reporter. <laughs> well, I know. It's quite kind, actually, compared to what I normally call you, isn't it? It is, 100%. <laughs> hey, in the entire northern and eastern forecast districts, hardly any rain at all, except in Norseman, where five mils was recorded. So that's in the goldfields. And the uh, even out on the islands, no rainfall reported. In the southwest land division forecast districts, no rain at all in the central west or the lower west. In the southwest, some places had between one and four mils. And then above that was Carlotta with eight, four acres seven, Millian up five, Northcliffe 13, Scott River eight, Shannon nine. Willie Abrup 5, Windy Harbour 10, and then in the southern coastal region, a little bit of rain around as well. Albany's Airport recorded 9, Bremer Bay 8, Dalyup Park, Denmark and Erinair recorded 7, Denbarker 5, Esperance had between 5 and 6 mils, Gardner 8, Hopeton 7, and Hopeton North had 6, uh, King River 8, Munglan up 7, Oakmarsh Farm 9, Pleasant Valley, Ravensthorpe and Salmon Gums Research Station all recorded 5, Tolina Downs recorded 9, the Duke had 6, in the Central Wheat Belt nothing over 1 mil and in the Great Southern Region it was mostly 1 to 3 mils except at Mount Madden where there was 13 mils of rain. But there are, as you mentioned, Joe, there are a fair few fires around. Some of them are at an advice level, the majority in the north. So there's one happening around uh, 80 Mile Beach on the, in the Shire of Broome. There's some in the Derby, West Kimberley Shires, in Ashburton, Halls Creek, also Corrigan again, or still, and uh, one in the Shire of Jerramungup at Fitzgerald River National Park. All of those are at an, an advice level. If you want more details on any of those, uh, particularly just keeping an eye on whether they get upgraded or not, just go to Emergency WA. Thank you, Richard. Have you noticed uh, meat prices at the retail level changing lately? I haven't, no. <laughs> no. It is a, it's a big question, isn't it? Because we're hearing all these stories about cattle and also sheep prices dropping, but it's just not flowing through. I would say on the weekend, not only have I not noticed them dropping, but I, I reckon someone might have even got the price tag wrong on the meat I bought. I only realised once I walked off that... It would seem to be a fair bit for not much. Yeah, what'd you buy? Some lamb legs and put them in a slow cooker and they were very nice. Hopefully they'll last a while, the amount it cost me. (laughs) You're on rations. (laughs) We have been talking about um, cattle and sheep prices this afternoon. Things pretty, um, well, not great in the southern rangelands where it's very dry and people are holding cattle that they don't really want to. A, a text in from Graham at Lake Grace saying regarding cattle prices with the record levels of sheep and cattle being slaughtered, MLA would be receiving extra levies. Why can't that extra revenue go into a domestic marketing campaign? 
It's a good question, Graham. Thank you for that text. If you'd like to get in contact with us this afternoon, always great hearing from you. The text number 0448 922 604. On ABC Radio WA, you're with Joe Prendergast for the WA Country Hour. Nice to have your company this afternoon. Some good news for our wine industry. China has agreed to review its tariffs on Australian wine. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese says this is another sign that trade relations between the two countries are improving. The Chinese market is very important, so it is something where we're having a a full-court press uh, with our, our counterparts as well. We've been successful in areas like barley and hay and timber. And if you haven't really been following this story that closely, you might be wondering, well, how important is China? Is that market in China to Australia's wine industry? Shortly, you'll hear a response from West Australian wine producers. But our political reporter, Stephanie Boris, has been following the Australia-China situation for years. Well, this is quite a significant announcement because it was back in 2020 when China announced that it was imposing tariffs on Australian wine up to 220%. So essentially overnight it stopped Australian wine exporters being able to ship their wine to China. And at that time, Australian wine exports were worth more than $1 billion. So as a result of this, Australia took China to what we call the World Trade Organisation. They were making essentially a complaint against these impositions of these tariffs. But what we've learnt today is that China has actually agreed to review the tariffs. It's going to be a five-month review. And while that's taking place, Australia has dropped that claim with the WTO. Of course, they can then resume that claim if you know nothing comes of this review by China. But it's sort of an indication that there is some movement and some positive movement. If we look back to April of this year, that was when China announced a review into Bali. That also had tariffs on it. And by August, those tariffs were dropped. So the hope, the expectation is something similar could happen in this case. What's the reaction been so far? So the Prime Minister has sent out a statement this morning welcoming the announcement and we do know that he is travelling to China early next month. Uh, In terms of the opposition, they have very much welcomed this as well but have made the point that these tariffs shouldn't have been put in place in the first instance. It was an attempted economic coercion by China. Uh, The tariffs were never justified and it is no doubt no coincidence Uh, that China and Australia received the draft report from the World Trade Organisation into Australia's appeal against these tariffs only in the last week. Uh, I am confident that draft report would have found uh, that these tariffs uh, were an act against the rules of the WTO. They are clearly in breach of the China-Australia Free Trade Agreement and the undertakings that China Mm. had given to Australia. And so they should not just be removed, reviewed, but they should be removed and removed forthwith. So this review is very much a sign of the relationship between Australia and China beginning and continuing to improve and confirmation today that we already knew the Prime Minister, of course, was travelling to China, but confirmation today of those dates. He will be in both Beijing and Shanghai between the 
4th and 7th of November. He'll meet with both the President and the Premier and he'll also take part in the China International Import Expo. Of course, Australia um, very much relies on China as a trading partner, so hence the importance of heading to that expo as well. And this will be the first time that Australian Prime Minister has visited the nation since 2016. ABC political reporter Stephanie Boris. Well, Amanda Darling is the head of Great Southern Wines here in Western Australia and she welcomes China's review of its the tariffs but says they've been really busy in the last few years establishing other markets. Look, it's fantastic news, obviously. You know, China is a, is a big market for Australian wine. Um, but... Um, I'd have to say from a West Australian perspective, certainly in a great Southern perspective, we've been doing a lot of work over the past couple of years to really uh, mitigate the problems caused by those tariffs. And, you know, for us, I guess, whilst it will make some difference, it won't have a huge impact, I don't believe, on our activities moving forward. And why is that? Well, we've uh, been doing a lot of work. We were lucky enough from West Australian Wine anyway to uh, receive some grant funding about two years ago um, largely supported by Deep Herd and uh, it's called a funding project called WA Wines for the World, um, which allowed us to really start um, identifying some really key markets and really focus on areas that um, are not so, you know, based uh, around China. And we've been hitting quite largely the Asian markets such as uh, Thailand, we've been into Singapore and Vietnam, and we're uh, really showing some great success in those areas. So before the tariffs were imposed, what sort of percentage did China represent in your market? From the Great Southern perspective, not a huge amount. We were probably around about the 20%, I would say, without having those exact figures on hand. But um, certainly from an Australian perspective, it was it was quite important. But that's where any wine regions were particularly focused on volume, where in the Great Southern, particularly here, we focus um, on value and lifting the value of Great Southern Wine. Most of Australia is, has quite a glut of, of um, oversupply of wine, but uh, we're lucky enough here in West Australia that we've really focused on, uh, I guess, wine pr- production, innovation, sustainability, and and consequently focused on the value of our wine. And certainly the oversupply didn't exist in terms of for us to uh, still keep in those premium high-end markets. So if the tariff was lifted, what sort of difference would it make to the Great Southern Wine region? Well, as I said, it's not not a huge difference. It certainly would be great for shifting some volume, but for us, we will still maintain our focus on those real key markets for us, being Singapore, uh, Malaysia, Thailand, Vietnam. We just recently brought in 16 major retailers from around the world, in fact, um, to do a regional tour of um, some of our real key wineries and that was a really successful mission um, only just last week which uh, you know so really is identifying some key markets and there was some some terrific interest in our wine Um, so yeah from our perspective I guess somewhat impact but yeah it's not our focus certainly. How important has it been to tap into these new markets? Oh incredibly important Um, for us there is a, a significant amount of interest in Australian wine, particularly in these Asian markets. And there is a real keen interest, I guess, since COVID that people are largely focused on rather than that volume, the volume of drinking premium wine. Um, it's also fairly important as to, you know, the, how it's made, 
the kind of varieties that we're making here in the Great Southern are starting to um, become really getting largely uh, world-class focus. And uh, so for us, I guess, moving forward, uh, being able to, to uh, take our producers into these regions has been a real key player. In fact, I think we've we've bucked the trend from an export where most of Australia's actually you know decline. We actually went up eleven percent this year, so due to um, taking those tactics. How did you go about boosting those export volumes? Yeah, really focusing quite specifically in key target markets and really high net Singapore, for example. Uh, we took about ten to twelve producers over there last year. We've we were over there twice last year, um, allowing grant funding to really assist the producers in, in bringing their wine to some of the major buyers over in uh, that Asia region. And we did the same just recently in Thailand. So that's really helped shift um, our percentage. That's really, yeah, bucked the trend against Australia, I guess. So no matter what happens with China, you'll still focus on these markets? Yeah, I think we've really identified, you know, we don't want to be hamstrung to a particular market. And certainly, you know, now we're, we're producing really high-end premium fine wine. And, and for those kinds of markets, it, it's less open to that kind of problems where um, tariffs get in place and really damage our uh, supply. So from our perspective, being able to uh, just work in those premium markets has seemed to be a uh, key strategic factor that's allowed us to increase our value with a small shift in volume. And just having a look at our neighbours, the Margaret River wine region, how much would the tariffs being lifted impact them, do you think? Oh, look, I'm reluctant to comment on the Margaret River wine region. I would certainly suggest that they'd be in a similar position as ours because uh, they uh, do participate in, in the, the similar grant funding um, program that uh, we also do. They've got a, obviously a, one of our biggest wine regions in terms of supply. So from their perspective, I would certainly think that it would help um, probably have more impact than it does on the Great Southern Amanda Darling, Executive Officer of Great Southern Wine, speaking with Sophie Johnson, just reacting to that news that China has agreed to review its tariffs on Australian wine. Ruth Ellis owns Hanging Rock Winery in central Victoria. She's a lot more excited about the news that the wine trade with China could soon resume. Going into these restrictions, we were selling uh, nearly half the wine we were making um, into China. We were making a lot of wine, especially for that market. It was um, for us and, and to be honest, most Australian wineries, especially of a certain size, it was a very, very, very lucrative market that all of a sudden went away overnight. Uh, it's exactly what we what we need right now is to is to hear that those restrictions are going to be lifted, potentially, fingers crossed, going to be lifted. Uh, and it was talking about a review of about five months. It's interesting timing in the wine industry here, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah five months is, a, is an interesting timeline. I mean, you know, we'll take whatever timeline we can get. So uh, this all sort of based around harvest time. So... The vast majority of wine going to China uh, comes from places like the Riverland, you know, sort of hotter areas, even places like Barossa and McLaren Vale, the Hunter Valley, those sorts of things. The grapes are harvested in January, February. So if they're looking at uh, lifting restrictions March and April, 
then what it's going to mean is that those wineries are going to have to hedge their bets as to whether that's going to happen or not. The biggest hit in this whole thing hasn't just been for the wineries. The biggest hit has been for the poor old grape growers. You know, wine is a very stable product. If it's made well enough, it can last, you know, somewhere between five and and 100 years, depending on how well you make it. Grapes, on the other hand, once they're ripe, we're looking at weeks, not months, not, you know, sort of anything else. Once they come off the vine, they need to be processed immediately. So there's a lot of really full wineries out there, wineries that are still got, you know, are at capacity. And so it's going to be really challenging to see what, you know, what this is going to mean for the poor old grape growers, whether their grapes are going to be taken this year or not. Um, but maybe looking at more positively long term, if this does go ahead and the tariffs are dropped next year, it might not be a problem. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> you yeah, know, next year, next year, uh, it'll be um, a full throttle. Uh, everyone will be, be back on board, which will be fantastic. Have you spoken to any of your Chinese buyers about this? Yeah, sure. So um, it's interesting. A lot of a lot of my Chinese buyers, um, I mean, this hurt them as much as it hurt us because uh, you know they'd set themselves up as Australian wine specialists and they'd built relationships with their um, suppliers, i.e., us, over over a long period of time. And so, from a lot of them, either they shut their doors, they changed industries. Or they went and sourced, you know, wine from Chile or Argentina or Spain or France or Italy or you know wherever. Um, but there are a number of them that are ready, raring to go, which is great. But there's definitely a lot less of them than when we went into this. And I heard the palate has changed quite a bit, also within China itself. You, you know, you said you were selling fifty percent of your wine over to China. Do you think you could get get that back? Um, I'm I'm hoping we'll get that back over time, but I'm expecting that there'll be an initial rush. You know, sort of the uh, you know the day that the bans are lifted, uh, every shipping container coming out of uh, Adelaide, Melbourne, and Perth and Sydney will all be booked out with wine going to China. But after that, it'll it'll drop off a bit, I'd imagine. And I'm looking. The expectation is that on the onset we'd be looking at about a quarter of what of what we were selling, and then the idea being that then those relationships will have to be rebuilt. Um, we'll all have to go and spend some more time in market and uh, and try and build those bridges again. And moving forward, you've seen how things can change very quickly politically between Australia and yeah. China. Will mm. you be a little more careful this time? <laughs> yes, yes. It's funny and not funny all at once. Um, when we were selling plenty of wine to China, uh, we used to joke that one of the things about selling wine to China is that uh, the government can just decide overnight, that's it, no more Australian wine, um, thinking ha 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 as if that would ever happen, and then it did. Um, so yes, you know, so definitely going forward, we'll be a lot more careful. Hanging Rock winery owner Ruth Ellis speaking there with Eden Heinen, and you can read more about this story online. Just search ABC News.
China and wine, it should pop up. Those wine producers reflecting on the importance of the Chinese market. But another Aussie industry is very heavily reliant on Chinese buyers as well, our deer antler exporters. That's right. Soft deer antler velvet is in high demand in China and Australian deer farmers are trying to get a bigger piece of the action. The antlers are exported frozen and then they're used as a traditional medicine and increasingly as a health food. Andrew McKinnon runs deer on his farm near Strathaldi on the South Australian Victorian border and he says China is currently buying about all of his antlers. We send probably about 90, 90% of Australia's velvet end up in China uh, and it's been quite a good market for a lot of years. Yeah, where does it mostly end up once it's in China, do you know? So a percentage of it then goes back to Korea and then the rest is used by the people in China. So it's used for a um, medicine. It all grows from stem cells and they're chasing the stem cells out of the antler. Because uh, you have the animal for 12 years, we normally keep them for velvet. Uh, They're currently turning over about $540 a a head per year. But if you can turn that, that's 5.4 kilos roughly, if you can turn that into 5 or 6 kilos on average across your herd and you have a 1,000 stags, it works into a lot of money per year. So over a few years, it recoups a lot of money. So a big investment... It's still a good time to be in deer farming then, despite the meat market maybe not being as strong as you would have liked it to become. Still a good business? Yeah, we're we're a bit worried all the time because of tensions between the Australian government and Chinese government, uh, because all our product either goes to there or Korea. So you don't want to upset the hand that feeds you. But our sheep prices have um, crashed. Um, We currently run about 2,500 ewes as well and that's nearly halved the meat value for the lamb. So it's uh, good returns compared to the sheep. Deer farmer Andrew McKinnon, who's president of the Deer Industry Association of Australia, he was speaking to Elsie Adamo from his property near Strathdowney on the South Australian-Victorian border. A few deer, wild deer, running around the Midwest, actually. So maybe there's a bit of a market for those deer antlers going into China. Might give people a bit more motivation to go and get them. Uh, A text in from Peter and Inga saying, My wife and I, like so many, are retired caravanners with no time or travel restrictions. They're in queue at the moment just listening to the report on the dire cattle situation in the Gascoigne-Murchison region caused by the lack of rainfall. And they're wondering whether station owners could benefit from volunteer workers. They're self-sufficient, they only require power and water and retirees could provide assistance during hard times. A variation of farm aid. Great idea, Peter and Inga. Love it. There was a cattle sale at Mushay today. About 1,800 head of cattle went over the rail. So numbers up about 160 on last week. Terry Birkin is there. Terry, can you run through the prices, please? Numbers were steadily increasing as expected at this time of the year, with just over 1,800 head. The sale consisted mainly of partial cattle with improved quality and weight compared to previous weeks and local cattle were mixed with well-finished steers down to increasing supplies of very light weaners. Values for heavier cattle remain firm, however buyers remain conservative on light-conditioned weaners trending downwards 20 to 25 cents a kilo, with weaner and yearling steers selling to a top of 294 cents, while the best of the heifers returned 284 cents a kilo. 
Grown steers realised 200 cents, while grown heifers made up to 180 cents a kilo. Prime cows sold to a top of 162 cents and slaughter bulls selling up to 182 cents a kilogram. This is Terry Birkin for MLA's National Livestock Reporting Service at Newshow. Terry, thank you. 1,805 was the final tally and a 912 kilo steer was donated by the Kendall family from Bindoon for Telethon. It was bought by Borello Beef for $3.30 a kilo. Thanks for your company. It's one o'clock. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.